0: Would you stand with me as we uh, read God's word? We're going to be uh, reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and uh, Pastor Bruce is going to be concluding a series uh, on stewardship today. He's going to teach us about the hazards of greed through the parable of the rich fool. And uh, again, it's Luke Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, which is page 599 in your pew Bible. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns, and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for your goodness. God, we just thank you for your generosity and the uh, abundance of blessings that you that you bestow upon us all. God, we just love uh, you. And just help us to love you more. And God, help uh, help our our hearts to follow after you and our pocketbooks to follow our hearts. And God, um, just help us to grow in this area. and. Uh, Bless Pastor Bruce this morning as he brings his, brings your word to us. And help us to listen and to apply. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, today we are concluding our stewardship series that we've been in for the month of January that we're calling the Generosity Paradox. And this morning, let me just be upfront with you. We are going to talk about a subject matter that all of us struggle with, and yet very few of us are willing and ready to admit to. So, I just want us to know we're all in the same boat here as we dive into God's Word here in Luke chapter 12. Most of us learn the value of money pretty early in life. Perhaps you heard about the four-year-old girl who was a flower girl at her aunt's wedding. The wedding party was standing at the altar and the pastor got to the wedding vows where he asked the bride if she would take the groom for richer or poorer. The little girl, thinking the bride needed some help, piped up in a loud whisper that everyone in attendance could hear. Take richer, take richer. (laughs) And given the choice, who here wouldn't take richer? We all would. The reality is we all, every one of us here, we all have an appetite for more. And that's just the problem. Notice again our definition, our statement of the generosity paradox that we've been uncovering and unpacking, if you will, for the last few months, or uh, Sundays, I should say. The generosity paradox is this. By giving, we receive, and by grasping, we lose. The first two messages in the series focus on the first part of this paradox. By giving, we receive. This morning, I want us to look at the second part specifically. By grasping, we lose. And the obvious question is, well, well, how do we lose? Because the world tells us over and over again that the more you grasp, the more you win. I mean, we've all heard the cliché, The one who dies with the most toys wins. But Jesus, Jesus is going to show us here that just the opposite is true. That the more you grasp, the more you hang on to, the more you lose. Greed. Greed has the potential to, to destroy your life. It has the potential to actually destroy your relationships with other people as well as keep you from even preparing for your eternity. This is the hazard of greed. Greed is hazardous to one's health. By grasping, you lose. John Grisham's novel, The Testament, opens with the dying words of a man who will soon be parted from all his money. And here are his last thoughts on earth day, even the last hour now. I am an old man, lonely and unloved, sick and hurting and tired of living. I am ready for the hereafter. It has to be better than this. My assets exceed 11 billion dollars. I own silver in Nevada, and copper in Montana, and coffee in Kenya, and coal in Angola, and rubber in Malaysia, and natural gas in Texas, and crude oil in, in Indonesia, and steel in China. My companies own companies. My money is the root of my misery, though. I had three families, three ex-wives who bore seven children, six of whom are still alive and doing all they can to torment me. I am estranged from all the wives and all the children. They're gathering here today because I am dying and it's time to divide the money. Whether rich or poor, this is how life always ends. With the dead leaving it all behind and the living dividing whatever is left. Yet the living are not always satisfied with the way things get divided. And this was certainly true for the man in the crowd that day when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount who said to Jesus, Teacher, teacher, or, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what we have here in this chapter of Luke chapter 12, I mean of Luke, is a brother who is grasping. And specifically, he's grasping for his inheritance. But instead, he's about to get a wake-up call on the hazard of greed from Jesus. Now, if truth be told, we all need to hear This wake up call on the hazard of greed. And so I want us, and I pray, I hope that you will open your heart this morning to what Jesus says to us here in Luke chapter 12. Number one, I want you to notice the selfish request made by a brother. Notice the selfish request here made by this brother. The situation is all too familiar. A father has died, and now two sons were squabbling over the money he has left behind. And so both brothers wanted to get what they had coming to them. And who wouldn't? We all can identify with this. But one of the brothers was sure that he was getting shortchanged. And so he asked Jesus to do something. He asked Jesus, in fact it almost comes across as if he's telling Jesus, he's commanding Jesus to arbitrate However, when Jesus exposes his heart, you discover that it's not quite what the brother was asking, though. He was not looking for an objective opinion about a fair distribution of the inheritance. Oh no, this brother wanted Jesus to settle the dispute, but to do so in his favor. In other words, he was simply using Jesus to get what he wanted. Now, We need to remember the context here in which this story takes place. Jesus is in the middle of teaching about the kingdom of God. When this brother interrupts Jesus in the middle of his sermon, can you imagine it? would be like one of you, raising your hand, standing up, when I'm at a pause and saying, hey, Pastor, Bruce, would you tell my brother to give me my inheritance? It's the same thing. Obviously, this brother... He isn't tracking with Jesus. He's not the least bit concerned with his soul and kingdom living. Rather than listening to what Jesus was teaching, this brother was preoccupied with getting his inheritance. He wanted his rights. In fact, this brother is so sure that he is right, he doesn't even ask for justice. Instead, he just tells Jesus to rule in his favor and settle the dispute. But Jesus, it's interesting here, he refuses to get involved. In fact, Jesus kind of just brushes him off when he replies here in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now that seems harsh. It seems rather harsh until you begin to understand that Jesus was focused on his calling. See, Jesus did not come as a justice of the peace to settle mundane disputes like this. Yes, one day, believe me, one day, and we look forward to that day as Christ followers. One day, Jesus will stand in judgment over everyone and everything. But that day has not come yet. And so during Jesus' earthly ministry here on this earth here, which was redundant, I don't know why I said that. You can laugh, that's fine during jesus earthly ministry it was not his calling to resolve these kind of disputes in fact the reason why another reason why is because the nation of israel itself they had a legal system for settling such disputes so jesus is focused on his purpose his mission here it was not jesus place to decide who got what but to challenge people even as he's doing for us here this morning, about their ultimate priorities in life. As one Bible scholar writes, Jesus was not showing indifference to the claims of legal justice, but was insisting that there is a greater gain than getting an inheritance and a greater loss than losing it. In other words, he is challenging this brother, he's challenging the crowd that's there that day, And he's challenging us, and he's warning us with the hazard of greed. By grasping, you lose. Jesus did not give this brother what he wanted. But he does take the opportunity to give this brother what he needed. Instead of settling the dispute, Jesus responded to this brother's selfish request by giving him and us a very sober warning. Heed the sober warning given by Jesus. Point number two here. Jesus gives a warning about how hazardous this inheritance is. Jesus says in verse 15, look at it with me again. He tells his brother, take heed and beware of covetousness. Or as the NIV says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because according to Jesus, in the rest of verse 15, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You see, Jesus... He's looking at this brother. He's uncovering his heart. He's exposing this man's heart before this crowd. And he sees his brother losing his grip on his portion of the inheritance. And he sees in him some evidence that the hazard of greed is deceiving him. This is why Jesus refers to the deceitfulness of riches in Matthew 13, 22. This inheritance... It was lying to his brother. This is why greed is so hazardous. It lies to us. It tries to deceive us. So what was it saying? Well, it was saying, if you lose me. It was telling this brother here, if you lose me, you lose a very large part of your life. I, I, the inheritance, I will make you more happy and more secure. And that is the lie of greed. Notice this in your notes. The lie Is very common, and yet we are deceived by it. We believe it. Having more money and more things will make me more happy and more secure. That is the lies of greed. The idea that having more money and more things will make me more happy and more secure is a cruel hoax. And so Jesus warns us all to be on guard against this very lie here. To be on guard against all kinds of greed. In fact, it's interesting, the Greek word here for greed has to do with excess or abundance. It refers to the attitude of always wanting more and more and more beyond what we even need. And the problem is a greedy heart is never satisfied. One author describes it this way. Greed is a a fat demon with a small mouth, and whatever you feed it is never enough. King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And that is why Jesus did not give this brother his inheritance. Jesus knew it would ultimately, it would not, the inheritance not satisfy his real need. Which is why Paul tells People like us, the rich, if you will, in 1 Timothy 6, 18-19, we, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, Paul says. In other words, don't be deceived by the lies of greed that woo you with the words, having more money and having more things will make you more happy and more secure. that is also why Jesus tells us to be content with what we have and not coveting what God has not given. But this, this requires constant vigilance. When Jesus tells us to take heed, He's telling us to, to watch out, to be on guard. In other words, Jesus is telling us that there is a real danger here and that we need to watch out for the hazard of greed. As m- many of you know, my family and I, we, we enjoy going to the Colorado frequently several times a year to go snow skiing out there. And one of the biggest hazards in the mountains when you snow, go snow skiing and jack snowboards is avalanche. avalanches. This year in particular, because uh, the Rockies have had just a, a huge amount of snow, they've had several avalanches. And, and lo and behold, it never fails. Every year, they do try to do a great job of communicating and educating the public, like myself, on the dangers and the hazards of, of an avalanche. Uh, and if you go to the ski resorts they, they have ski patrol that monitors and, and you have avalanche control but a lot of skiers go backcountry skiing outside of the, the parameters in which ski patrol monitors and, and tries to control the avalanches and so these backcountry skiers that never fails every year at numerous skiers and snowboarders are killed in avalanches despite the dangers, the hazards. And one of the reasons is because they don't think it will happen to them. And somewhat, we are no different. We don't think this hazard affects us. And yet Jesus is telling us, beware, watch out. This is real. This is hazardous to your health. And to drive home this warning about the hazard of greed, Jesus tells us a parable about a rich man, who was grasping for more, only to find out by grasping, you lose. So hear, hear with your ears, but more importantly, hear with your heart the solemn parable told to the crowd. Let's read this parable of the rich farmer who Jesus describes as a fool. Listen again to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 16. Look at it. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, Oh, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, Oh, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But notice what God says to him in verse 20. You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I'll be the first to admit, when I look at this story and I look at the life of this rich farmer, he had it made. On the outside looking in, he had it made. He had everything that this world had to offer. He had a lot of money. He had good food and fine wine with plenty of time to enjoy them. Or so he thought. His riches were getting richer. He had just harvested a bountiful crop. In fact, his biggest problem in life, get this, was now storage. He said to himself, almost as if he's whining about it, What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Bill, don't you wish you had that problem? How ironic. The man kept accumulating more and more until finally he did not have enough space to keep it all. Now, let me just say, let's all understand that this man is not condemned by Jesus here because he was prosperous or because he enjoyed the blessings and benefits of his prosperity. That is not why Jesus condemned him. It's not a bad thing when your land produces plentifully. And we say amen to that, right? Man, that is a great thing. That is a blessing from God. It's not a bad thing when your business prospers. So if you work for yourself, and your business is growing and booming, that is a blessing from God. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing when your investments increase in value like they did this last week when the stock market reached a record high. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing when you receive a promotion at work and with it a pay increase. Who turns that down? Not a bad thing. So why then is he called a fool? And don't put the answer up here just yet. Put the question. And I want you to focus on the question. That's the question in this parable. And did you notice that he's not only called a fool, but a fool who loses his soul? When God tells him in verse 20, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. In other words, Jesus is telling the story and he is saying that this rich farmer, this rich man here, he is literally and he is tragically a damned fool. Now those words are chilling in their irony. Because when God tells him that his soul will be, quote, required, he is using the same terminology that a banker would use to call in a loan. God is telling him that this loan is now due. The loan of his moral existence. His life has always belonged to God, and now God is coming to claim it. But this is not the only irony in the story. How ironic that a man who has been having his own private monologue with himself has been overheard by God. How ironic that a man who thinks he will live many years is now down to his last few hours on earth. And we just had an example of this this last week. You think Ventura was planning to die in a car crash? How ironic that a man... Who wants to keep it all for himself will have to leave it all behind. How ironic that a man who gives not one thought to God must still answer to God for his very soul. How ironic, how tragic, and according to Jesus, oh, how foolish. Why did Jesus call this man a fool? Maybe it was because his life was so short and he was running out of time and he didn't even know it. He assumed he had years left to enjoy himself, decades to take things easy and spend all his money. And in all his financial planning, in all his efforts to take control of his future, he never counted on his own untimely demise. Yet death, death was already outside of his door. A fool and his money are soon parted. And this man was going to die before he had any chance to even enjoy one single day of his retirement. Oh, how foolish to make all those plans on this earth without making any preparation for eternity. And how foolish to worry about so many things that he could not keep. Jesus asked this man a rhetorical question in verse 20 These things you have prepared Whose now will they be? And the answer is Not his Which is all he really cared about And yet he cannot take it with him No one ever can However rich we may be, we will die poor, leaving everything behind for someone else. This farmer was a fool for this reason as well. He thought that life consisted in the abundance of things, the very attitude that Jesus warned against. He thought that life was all about getting more and more and more for himself. But now he's finding out that by grasping, you lose. What a fool he was to think that money and possessions are the most important things in the world. So why then? Ultimately, why did Jesus call him a fool? And here is the reason why. Ultimately, it's because he did not know God. This is what the Bible usually means when it describes someone as a, Fool. According to Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, the fool is the person who says in his heart, there is no God. In other words, that person who says there is no God does not believe in the existence of God, does not believe that God is the creator and that he will give an account of his life to that creator. He does not even acknowledge God's presence in his daily life. Therefore, he does not acknowledge God's presence and his accountability in the stewardship of his resources. He thinks his resources are all his. He is the owner, and he hasn't got a clue then that no, God is the owner and you are the steward. This rich man in the parable was just like that. He did not thank God for the plentiful harvest of his land. He did not ask God what he should do with all his extra grain. And he did not offer his time and talents for God's service. He did not acknowledge God's sovereignty over his lifespan. Nor did he prepare to meet God when he died. He did not give one thought to God at all. This man thought that his biggest problem in life was a storage problem. But what he really had was a spiritual problem. He didn't know God. He was ready to live. He said to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. But he wasn't ready to die and face God. And God said to him, This night your soul will be required of you. I wonder, do we have any fools here this morning? Which brings us to the climax of the story that Jesus tells here. And that is to apply Jesus' point to your life. Take what he says and apply it to you. So what is Jesus' point that we should apply to our lives? Well, the practical point of the parable is very simple. It's this. Don't be a fool. That's the point of the parable that Jesus told. He is warning us and he is telling us, don't be a fool. Don't be the kind of fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God here's how Jesus applies the parable in verse 21 he says so is he in other words you're just like this rich man this fool so is he who lays up treasure for himself like this rich man did and is not rich toward God what Jesus says here is for everyone whether you are rich or whether you consider yourself poor doesn't matter what your income is doesn't matter what your bank account is Nothing is said here about what we have or how much we make. Having or not having treasure is not the issue here. The issue is our attitude. The issue is our actions about what we do have, about what God has blessed us with and what are we doing with what God has given us. Some people, they take what God has given them and they use it to lay up treasures for themselves. But they are not Rich toward God. And Jesus, if he was here this morning to speak into your ear, he would whisper to you, you're a fool. And like the fool in this parable, they live for money and all the things that money can buy. Their goal is getting things for themselves. And if that is what they want, then that is all they will ever get. They will never gain the pleasures that come from knowing God or the treasures of eternal life. Jesus, here in this story, he is calling us away from that. He is calling us away from such poverty of soul to be rich toward God. God has lavished us with his gifts of creation. And who here doesn't enjoy the gifts of his creation? Food, clothing, shelter, and millions of other material blessings. But more than that, God has lavished us with the gifts of His saving grace through Jesus Christ, such as the forgiveness of our sins, the freedom from our guilt, and the hope of eternal life. And now we have a choice to make. Will we lay up treasures for ourselves, or will we be rich toward God? So what does it mean, then, to be, quote, rich toward God? Well, we can answer this question by the very meaning or because Jesus he's contrasting this in verse 21. And so you understand what that means by the contrast here. Being rich toward God is the opposite of laying up earthly treasures for yourself. Being rich toward God is the opposite of treating yourself as though... It were made for things and not for God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of acting as if life consists in the abundance of possessions and not in the abundance of knowing God. In other words, being rich towards God, therefore, it means... Laying up treasures in heaven is counting God as greater riches than anything on earth. It's using the blessings that God has given us, the earthly riches of our lives, to show how much we actually value God more than those riches here on earth. This is what the rich farmer failed to do. And the result was, he was a fool who lost his soul. This is the hazard Of greed. By grasping, we lose. Again, the issue isn't that the man's fields prospered, the issue isn't that he had a lot of grain, the issue is that God was not his supreme treasure of his life. Former pastor, he's now still an author, John Piper, puts it this way. If God had been his treasure, what would have he done differently? Instead of saying, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, he would have said something like, God, this is all yours. You have made my fields prosper. Show me how to express with my riches that you are my treasure, and the riches are not. I want the fullest blessing of giving because you taught me, Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is warning us here. His warning is about the hazards of greed. Greed is hazardous to your health. Jesus says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So, let me share with you three ways to actually guard against the hazards of greed. Number one, value supremely Jesus above all earthly things. You say, What does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul is our example here. Let me read you his own words, his testimony. In Philippians 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So value supremely Jesus above all earthly things. Number two, trust completely in God's promises to meet all your needs. Consider these promises in God's Word. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, He doesn't say every want, but every need. 2 Corinthians 9.8, another promise of God. says, God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Another promise that comes from Jesus. Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, treasure God supremely above all the earthly things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. A third way. To guard against the hazard of greed is to give generously and regularly to support the mission and ministry of God's church. The opposite of greed is what? Generosity. So one of the surest ways to guard against greed is to give generously to the Lord through his church. And perhaps you may ask, well, how much should I give? My answer to you would be to start with the Old Testament standard of 10% and to build on that. It's a great place to start. Whatever you decide to give. Because as we learned last Sunday, giving is a decision that you must make. You must choose. You must decide in your heart as God prospers, prospers you what you are going to give. So whatever you decide to give, I would encourage you to give regularly, give generously, and to remember the generosity paradox. And what does the paradox say? By giving, we what? Receive. By grasping, we lose. Now we began this morning with a scene from John Grisham's novel, The Testament. Perhaps one or two of you are wondering, well, how does it end? in which a dying billionaire dies unloved, but not alone. Greedy relatives have now gathered around his bedside, hoping for their share of his massive inheritance. But the book has a surprise ending. After the old man dies, the family gathers to read his last will and testament, signed shortly before his death. And due to their complete shock, their entire fortune is granted to an illegitimate daughter, None of them has ever known. It turns out that this unexpected daughter is serving as a Christian missionary to people in Brazil. And so a lawyer is sent to find her that shows she can sign the necessary paperwork. When he finally tracks the woman down, she refuses to accept any part of the inheritance. the lawyer, as you might imagine, is quite dumbfounded because from his perspective, life consists in the abundance of one's possessions. Yet because of her faith in Christ, the missionary has a completely different set of priorities. She says, you worship money. You're part of a culture where everything is measured by money. It's your religion. But the missionary belongs to a different religion and serves a different God, so in the end, she decides to put every last penny into a trust fund, for the worldwide work of the gospel. Now, I hope you know that's a fictitious story. It's a novel. But it's an illustration as well of the parable that Jesus tells us this morning. Let me ask you, what has God given you? Not to keep, not to hoard, but to give away. The issue is not how much you have or don't have. Again, the issue is your attitude about what you do not have and your generosity with what you do have. Remember the generosity paradox. By giving, we receive. By grasping, we lose. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you. Oh my, we thank you for this warning. And yet, Lord, warnings are not fun. We, we tend to put our, our fist up to them. We are backs toward them. But yet, this is a much needed warning, Lord. For we all struggle with greed. And so help us to take heed. Help us to watch out. Help us to be on guard against all kinds of greeds that creep into our hearts. And Lord, thank you for the story, this parable of this rich farmer. Help us to relate to it. Help us to identify with it. But more than that, help us to apply the point of the parable that we may not be fools. And instead, we would know you and your son, Jesus Christ. We would prepare for our eternity we would be rich toward you while we are here on this earth. And so, Lord, help us to be generous givers of that as an expression of your generosity to us. May you work in our hearts even now at this response time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Praise team's going to sing, and as they do, I encourage you to respond in prayer right where you're seated.